couple months ago, or during the summer, early summer, we were at home watching a, a 30 for 30 on ESPN. And this particular uh, documentary was about a group of boys from Carter High School back in the late 80s, early 90s. And as we were watching it, um, we had a few folks in the room, Jacob and Asher uh, included, and they were going through uh, all the ups and downs of this championship season in Dallas, Texas, and some of the things that went on uh, throughout the season and, and some of the, the trials and tribulations uh, that the kids had to go through in the community. Uh, following the season is where this story really gets interesting, and the documentary was called What Carter Lost, and Carter being the wider community, what they lost. And so what happens after the season and into the early part of the summer is uh, six or seven of the boys get into some serious trouble, including some armed robbery. And he goes on to uh, kind of uh, deal with that and, and things that had happened along the way with, with that legal issue and with the terrible crimes that they had committed. Uh, it looks at, looks back from you know, 25 years ago, and, and they're interviewing you know, these six players. And something remarkable uh, through this process is all six of them had, had you know, been convicted, they did their time, and none of them had gotten in trouble again. Uh, they were all living productive uh, lives and, and good citizens in their communities. And in other words, they, they, they had learned from their mistakes and they had moved on. One particular uh, player they spent a little bit more time with uh, in the episode, and he had become a preacher. And so they, had, they were showing one of his sermons. And during this sermon, uh, he started to talk about what had happened 25 years ago. And what the point that he was trying to make was that God had caused that trouble. God allowed him, at least, to get in trouble. God made him do the armed robbery, is what it sounded like coming across the TV. In order that um, he could end up where he was today. And so he had turned his life around. Uh, and in that, looking back and reflecting, which is not a bad thing to do, like, you know, how could I have done that? And what he had processed is a very popular theology. Theology meaning how we think about God. And that is God as a puppeteer. God has predestined everything for you and I. Well, as Methodists, uh, we don't believe that. So I called the TV right away, and I said, whoa, hold up, right, Jacob? Yes, sir. Paul said, right on the dock, and said, you know, we have great respect for this guy, and, and for the way he's turned his life around. But God did not cause him and his buddies to rob those stores. Amen? All right? And so what we did talk about, however, is that you know, the response after being in trouble. All of us have been in trouble uh, to one degree or another. All of us have made mistakes, especially if you're married, right, Lynn? Yep. <laughs> right. And those mistakes come not from God pulling some string, making Chris something that makes his wife mad, right? It's from his bad decisions. It's bad decisions that get us in trouble. Bad decisions. And so we have to kind of have a little discussion about that. We have free will. God allows you and I to make our own choices, to make our own decisions. Sometimes those are going to work out for good. Sometimes they're going to work out for bad. All the time they're going to affect other people around us, not just ourselves. And so with 
the reading is that Ruth has given birth. She's given birth, not just to any ordinary child, but an ordinary child that is going to be in the line of King David. So she has given birth to the line that's going to produce King David. And so it would be tempting to say all of this bad stuff that's happened in Ruth in the very beginning. Remember the famine? And remember the deaths and the sickness and the terrible things that were going on to this family? It would be tempting to say, wow, God calls those bad things to happen in order that King David could be what? Born. Right? And that's wrong. It's wrong theology. It's a wrong way to think of it. It's human decisions all along the way in this story of Ruth in these four chapters that have moved us to the point where we're in line to have King David. The story is filled with decisions. And not until the very end of this book, this very powerful book about God, not until the very end do we hear God acting in any definitive way. And that was in the verse that part of the verse that we heard where it says God allowed uh, Ruth to become pregnant. All other times, it's, it's human decision and, and God not acting in any way, shape, or form where the narrator is telling us that God is acting. So anyway, as we go forward, we can remember some of the decisions that have gotten us to this point. Elimelech is the dad. He made a decision. He's the one that gets this story started because they're in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and there's a famine. And he says, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to move the family to Boaz, a foreign country. So he made a decision. That moves the story along. Naomi, his wife, uh, while they're there, well, she made a decision somewhere along the way to name her two sons what? Sick and die. That was a bad decision, right? And <laughs> what happens to her two sons? They get sick and die. They get sick and die. So if you don't remember anything else in that story, you're going to remember that Naomi had two sons sick and die, and they got sick and die. So all the men are gone in this story. So Naomi makes another decision. She says, I'm going to go to back to Bethlehem, to my, to, my, uh, to my people. And so she picks up with Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, and she starts to make her way back to Bethlehem. She made that decision. After a little way on the trail, uh, she turns back and she tells Orpah and Ruth, hey, just, just go. Turn back and go back and be with your people in Moab. Um, after three times actually the custom uh, of trying to tell them to stop. Finally, Orpah goes. Back of the neck was her name, remember? So back of the neck goes and she returns to Moab and Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. So Ruth made a decision. Her decision is going to play a key here. It's going to be one of the most important decisions in the whole book. As we go forward, Ruth makes a decision as they get back to Bethlehem to go bleed in the field. Boaz, we've learned about Boaz. He's going to be the great redeemer here in this story. He makes a decision to inquire, who is this woman that's working in my field? So he makes a decision to, to look into that further and then makes some provisions for her and for Naomi. So his decisions are key. Naomi makes a decision in chapter 3 to start giving the group some dating advice. Anybody ever received any dating advice here? Nobody's raising their hands. <laughs> I guess everybody knows what they're doing, right? <laughs> Ruth decides at one point to uncover the feet of Boaz. <laughs> and that turns to be a, a very important decision as well. Because that leads to them liking each other. 
getting married. This is more exciting than the football game. Right? <laughs> Sorry to sweat. <laughs> then after that episode, and they start to they, they figure out, you know, hey, there's something here. Boaz decides to follow the customs and the rules to a T. And so he, he knows that there is this process laid out to, a, to help widows out. It's called this redemption process. But there are some rules, and he has discovered that there is someone that is in line ahead of him, uh, another redeemer. And he says, well, let me check with him first. And so he gathers the community. And I love this part. He gathers the community together, but this is a decision that's not going to just affect him. It's going to affect everyone. He gathers them together. He gets this other redeemer who doesn't have a name. He says, hey, look, Naomi is back. Go ahead. She has this property. You're next in line to take over this property, to redeem this property. And so that kind of perks the interest of the Redeemer. Like, oh, yeah, more property. So it looks like the Redeemer, number one, there is going to, to steal the deal. But then Boaz says, hey, but wait a minute. Along with this property, you get two more women. We should laugh at that. Naomi and Ruth. And the guy's like, that's okay. You can have the property. Thank you for laughing, Mike. Thank you for being brave enough to laugh at all these women in here. That he didn't want two more. So Boaz decides uh, and, and makes it clear there. And that's where we have. And so it's actually the Redeemer that is refusing uh, to take on this property and the women. Is the one that takes the sandal off and gives it to Boaz as a, as a transactional sign and say, Here, you know, you get. They had some weird thing with feet, I guess. But that was the sign of the transaction. And Boaz uh, ends up acquiring the property and being able to go on and marry uh, Ruth, the widow, and, and takes in Naomi as a caretaker. And the rest of that is history. All of these decisions that we just went through in terms of this litany are exercises in free will. God did not make Ruth follow Naomi back to Bethlehem. God blesses that decision, but God didn't make it happen. Amen? Alright, so all of them affect and exercise free will. All these decisions have something in common. Everyone we just mentioned has something in common. And that is, all of them affect other people. All of them affect other people. They affect the community of people. All right? so they're not decisions that were made by Boaz or Ruth or Naomi that just affected them. It affected the whole family. In some cases, the whole community. Ruth's decision to go back with Naomi affects all of us because King David is born because of her decision. Amen? Orpah, her decision affects the whole community. She goes back to Moab. And you know there's a tradition. The tradition. And in the Jewish tradition, and the Jewish family, uh, there's something called the Talmud. There's some extra biblical uh, resources that the rabbis have put together over, over time and very historical documents uh, that were passed down. And, and so you get a little bit more information. And in one of the... Um, Midrash Talmud 
documents and stories that are passed is that Orpah, on her way back to Moab, after she leaves, Orpah gets connected or runs into an army of a hundred guys. I'm not going to mention anything else other than that. A hundred guys. She ends up, according to this legend and tradition of the Talmud, giving birth to, not going to believe it, Anybody know? Goliath. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's tradition that was passed down in Jewish circles. So her decision, if we believe that, may affect more than just her when she turned back and went back to Moab. Um, And so these decisions affect the whole world. The whole story here is moved along by these decisions. What a responsibility to know our decisions affect others. And you can imagine all along the way, as they're preparing to make these decisions, you know, the world, or their sisters, or their brothers, or their neighbors, telling them, oh, Naomi, you don't need, you don't need anyone. You're a strong and independent person. You don't need your sisters in law Just go by yourself. You don't need any of us to help you with this decision. Just go back and do what your heart says. I mean, that's what People tell us, right? Amen? Thank God she didn't listen. Thank God Ruth didn't listen to Naomi. Uh, Orpha did, and we see what may have happened. Ruth did not listen when Naomi was saying, hey, you don't need me. Hold you back. And Ruth does not listen. And she makes a decision that's going to affect all of us. The world is going to tell us, you and I, the world is going to tell Kate, Kate, you don't need anybody else. You don't need anybody else. And that's a lie. That's the world's lie. We need one another. Especially when we're making decisions. We don't go into the closet and shut out everybody that loves us and cares for us and make decisions on our own because the decisions that we make don't affect us alone. They affect the whole community. So why not bring in the community when you're trying to make these decisions, especially decisions that are going to affect life and death. Amen? The world is going to tell you over and over again, you're the one. I mean, and I won't worry, you don't have to raise your hand. But I know we've all heard this from people that love us. Gary, you're the one that's going to have to live with the consequences. You've got to make this decision. Be a big boy and make this decision. Right? We've heard that. That's wrong. Take, I mean, eventually you have to make a decision, but you take in all the input of the, of the people around you. And even in faith, we're going to hear, oh, Christianity, hey, you're being baptized as a Christian today. It's all about a personal relationship with Christ. You don't need anybody else. You don't even have to come to church. You don't need a preacher. You don't need your grandparents. You don't need your parents. He's looking right at me. He doesn't know I'm lying to
Should I volunteer for this act or this place? Whatever the case may be, we need each other to make those decisions. Free will comes with humongous responsibility. And it's a gift that's given to us from God, but it's a huge responsibility that comes with it. I'm going to uh, end with a quote from one of the best television programs in the history of TV. A very powerful drama from the 1990s. Award-winning drama. Beverly Hills, not everyone else. Beverly Hills, the original. Well, it speaks to us today. I hope it wraps up this whole. And I know some of you have lost respect for your pastor. I love not everyone else. Every day I come home from school and he's watching it.